Hello, listeners. This is PSG Talk contributor Mark Damon, and this is PSG Small Talk for Saturday, January 12th, 2019. On today's show, the band is back together. I am joined by John Olangi and Eduardo Razo. We talk about the first three PSG games of 2019. What went right? What went wrong? Are we really that upset that we got knocked out of the Coupe de la Ligue? And are there cracks starting to show in this PSG squad? Then we spend the majority of the time discussing PSG's current transfer situation. And based on what I hear on Twitter, you're probably not going to like how calm and sort of not crazy we are about needing this midfielder right now so badly. They're going to collapse if they don't get a midfielder right now. So if you don't want to get talked off the ledge, if you really want to jump, then this is not going to be a great show for you. But I do get a little heated at times, and I do discuss what I think is Tomas Tuchel's first misstep as Paris Saint-Germain manager. All this and more, and um, before we start the show, I'd like to tell you that you can follow PSG Talk on all of our social media platforms, Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Um, We'll try to get Ed to start a Snapchat at some point. I don't think we'll be very successful with it, but, you know, you can try. Um... Please subscribe to our podcasts and listen to them as many times as you'd like. Um, PSG Small Talk and PSG Talking, which should be back at some point, more towards the Manchester game. You'll hear from the expert panel who will discuss all things Paris Saint-Germain, some of the things we've discussed and some of the things that we haven't discussed. And visit our website, www.psgtalk.com. Subscribe to the podcast. I already said that, sorry. Um, Make sure to visit our Patreon page. That's what I was looking for. Make sure to visit our Patreon page. And think of donating to our little movement here. Because we are the number one, numero uno, uh, PSG site uh, for news and analysis in English. And we take pride in that. And we like to grow the business, if at all possible. So... Think about contributing today, and if you're listening to us from Australia, greetings um, on Football Nation Radio. So if you are listening to us on Football Nation Radio, um, thank you very much. Um, If you're not in Australia, I think you can still listen to Football Nation Radio on their website. I think it's fnr.com or something like that. I don't have the plug in front of me, so if Ed would like to edit in that plug, he's more than welcome to. So... Without further ado, on with the show. Usually I'll start by asking Eddie, but today I'm going to ask John just to be um, just to be uh, equitable here. John, what have you taken, if anything, from the last three games, which would include the Coupe de France match against uh, Stade Pontivy, which PSG won 4-0, I think, uh, the Coupe de la Ligue quarterfinal match on Wednesday, which PSG lost, breaking a 44-match unbeaten streak in the Cups, being both the Coupe de la Ligue and the uh, Coupe de France. And I don't know if the Trophy de Champion gets counted in that, but 44 matches unbeaten is now officially over. Gingamp won 2-1. And the return to Ligue 1 today as PSG defeated Amiens on the road 3-0. So, John, your thoughts on these three games? Anything to take from them at all? Well, I think I think the the every individual match had its own kind of 
uh, storyline, and it, for me, it kind of sums up the entire like, um, like the 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 purview of PSG to outsiders, right? Like in the in that first cut match against Stade Pointevue, right? Like we were supposed to win that, so we won it, and nothing, you know, whatever. It's a cut match, and then in another cut match in Coupe de la Liga against Gangon. We lose, everybody loses their shit because we're not supposed to lose to Gangon or we're not supposed to lose in these cut matches. And then in today's match, it was overreaction first half where we played like crap. And then second half, it was like a different team. So it's like all of those things, uh, you know, kind of compacted into one. Um, first thing is, you know, we have to remember they just came back from winter break. So players are still getting caught up to speed and then uh everything else is just like i don't know man our our, our fan base is a little is a little um careful now i don't know that i know i don't i don't i want to use the right word but it's it's um we're hard to please we're very hard to please um and you know there's a lot of trauma that comes with that and a lot of other things that kind of play a, a role into that so I'm not going to say too much, but overall, like, you know, we're, we're doing what we're supposed to do, trying to get back into the rhythm of, uh, of these league matches and, and then the cut match and, and, um, and trying to get ready for, uh, Manchester United in the Champions League. Or, or you can say Leon in, in early February. That's our next big match, but I think they're, they're, they're doing all right. Uh, I think, you know, we're going to talk about the transfers and all that good stuff, but. It is what it is. You know, we, we, we handled our business today, and uh, I think that was a good way to bounce back from uh, the Coupe de la Ligue match. Uh, Eddie, any differing opinions from that? No, I think John summed it up pretty much. Um, you know, like, like he said, uh, the overreaction to the Coupe de la Ligue loss, I mean, it was bound to happen. I mean, you know, 44 is an impressive streak. But, you know, sooner rather than later, eventually someone was going to be PSG. You know, all good things must come to an end. And, you it's know, the, tonight, yeah. <laughs> and then today's match, you know, it, it, what I take away is that again, slow start. They get that, that one break and then, you know, it just opens up the floodgates. So, I mean, just pretty much what John said, I, 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 I'd have to agree with everything. I, I'm going to say that. I'm a little concerned, and I'm concerned for a couple of reasons. The first reason I'm concerned is that it's not exactly losing a cup match that bothers me, because again, law of averages, you're not going to win all the cup matches you play. Nobody does. And the way it's set up, it's sort of advantageous to the team that is the underdog in the sense that you can get lucky and steal a cup. It's not like you have to do a, um, it's not like you have to do a, a two-legged cup like the, uh, Copa del Rey. And the FA Cup has a two, the FA Cup goes to replay if it's tied. And the, um, the Carabao Cup, I think, is two legs in the, like, semifinal or something. It's something weird like that. Like, French Cups are single elimination all the way through. It's not that we lost, it's that they looked like 2016-17 PSG, in that they were incredibly undisciplined, they threw bodies forward recklessly, 
and they left their they left their fullbacks on islands against big, physical, strong attacking players, and they got burned. And PSG does not have on their on their wings physical enough defenders to be that aggressive offensively because they can't recover and they can't physically move people off the spot. So when they try to move people off the spot, they're going to foul them. And I had thought that the back three that Tuchel had brought in would sort of solve that problem because then you put Carrer out wider where he's not as much of a risk in the box. You put um, you put Kimpembe out wider where he's not as much of a risk in the box. He's a good one-on-one on the wings. I don't know why they're playing with four. I, maybe it's just because they don't have the proper amount of center backs that they need to play a three. But this back four defensively has looked shaky. That's where I'm concerned. And we can, you know, I don't want to get too much into the penalties. I don't know if you guys want to talk about that. But I just, I, to put yourself in that position to commit three penalties in one half, you have to be a very you have to be playing very badly on defense to do that. Secondly, I thought in this game, you knew Amien were going to put up the defensive block. You knew they were going to try to wear PSG down and suck them in and counter. They don't have the offensive weapons that Gangamp has, so I wasn't as worried. But you still, it took 55 minutes and a penalty... And then King, and then Amien going down to 10 men. It wasn't kind of clean, and you just felt like creatively in that first half, they were not, they didn't have ideas. And they weren't able to sort of get good looks at the, they got one good look off a corner, but they just couldn't get good looks at the, at the goal. And then obviously second half, it opens up. So I'm not all that worried, but Tell me if I'm wrong, John. Is there is there uh, is there room for concern? I mean, sure. I mean, there's always concern if you like, you know, if we lose to a team that's bottom of the table. And even though we played Gangon in the Coupe de la Ligue, they are bottom of the table in Ligue 1. And you know that's fair. But I, I think there's a lot of uh, moving parts right now with the transfer window. Uh, in place, I think we have to we have to kind of wait out and see if PSG are going to spend any money. If they are able to spend any money to to bring in the midfield or, or wherever we need reinforcement. But as far as the team we have right now, like if we were to play Manchester City, uh, Manchester United next week, I, I would be still confident that we can win that game. And that that's where that's where I'm kind of at ease with. Like I know that. They'll perform in in in, uh, in that way, but we, we have we have to continue to see what happens. I like that the Lyon matches is before the Manchester United match to see where to kind of see where we'll be at before the Champions League. But you know, it's like I said, we 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 have we have a, a, a big we have to realize that we are a big European team, and this happens like that. It's it's a double edged sword if you beat who you're supposed to beat. Yeah, whatever. And if you lose, it's like, how could you possibly lose? So it's, you know, it, it comes with the territory of being a big European club. And, you know, that we just kind of, kind we just have to kind of uh, accept the, 
the, the, you know, how realistic that is and just deal with it. But I don't think we're in like a, a dire crisis mode right now. And then we get gang on, um, I think next Saturday. Yep. Get to, you know, we get to, to kind of get our revenge, uh, against them. So we'll see what happens. Yeah. And I, I will say, and this is more me giving, uh, again, this sounds arrogant to me, me giving Tomas Tuchel constructive criticism, but I, I'm going to do it anyway. If you're playing in an important game, I feel like Juan Bernat and Tomas Munier should not be playing on the same field at the same time. I just think that's too, it's too offensive and it leaves you too many holes in the back, especially in a back four. I mean, we learned this last year when they were trying to play Krizao and Munier together and it just, it didn't work. Cause they just, they, they, I, I don't like having, this just me philosophically, I don't like having the two fullbacks in a back four bombing forward. I just think it leaves you too exposed. So if they're not going to play back three and then have Meunier and Bernat as wings, you kind of have to, you kind of have to figure out how to not play one and maybe bring one on or something. I just, I, I don't think those two should be playing together. And the other thing I'll say is, I think sometimes Eddie PSG somehow believe the, they somehow buy into the hype that League Gun is a league where they should be scoring four or five goals a game. Like, I don't care if they score four or five goals a game. I want them to win the game. Like, and I think that against Gingamp, there was a lack of balance. And I think against, in, against Amien in the first half, I think there was a lack of balance as well. And they got away with it. But am I, am I missing something, Eddie? Is you, do you, are you seeing what I'm seeing with this sort of back four and how it's just hasn't exactly looked great? Yeah, I think started like coming back from the winter break. It's it's it hasn't looked that good. Like you said, they have too much offensive, you know, fullbacks, and that can lead to some trouble, especially if they're you know they're trying to create offense, you know, themselves and pushing up. And as we're seeing now, it's taking PSG more time to crack, you know, the defense. Like usually to start the season, it'll take about twenty minutes. And then they'll, they'll get the first goal. Now it's starting to take them longer and longer. And like, as we saw today, it took them to the second half for them to finally, you know, they caught a break, but you know, they were finally able to crack through, uh, Amiens defense. And in the Coupe de la Ligue, I think I saw at least six defenders, um, you know, at one point, you know, defending PSG's offensive attack. So it's just taking them longer and longer. And, and if, you know, the opponent has at least some capable offensive attack and, you know, Bernard and Munier are, are caught up front, then, you know, that can lead to some problems. I, and I, I would say that. And that's, and that's just kind of my point, which is you, you don't want to, because it's league gun, because you think you can get away with it, sort of play these, these formations and tactics that to me just aren't, this is not who PSG is in, in like, I don't see them right now as they're currently constituted as Barcelona or um, or Manchester City. They're not a team that has the quality in the midfield to keep possession of the ball and have quality possessions. They can keep the ball and knock it around the back a little bit, but they're not getting quality possessions out of their 
out of their possession. They're not getting consistently good looks. And you see a team like Barcelona at their peak and Manchester City, they're consistently getting good chances through their passing. And that's just because they have so much passing quality. PSG don't have that kind of... They don't have that kind of chemistry and that kind of passing quality. They're more... You're, they're more Liverpool, Real Madrid in that you get them in space, and once you get them in space, they're unstoppable. Like, you saw that second goal today. The space that Draxler creates with that pass, Cavani gets it to Mbappe, bang, 2-0. And even in the Coupe de la Ligue match, perfect example. They got space, they kind of, they were able to counter, they got some space. Um, Meunier got a cross in, and Neymar had room to run under it and head it in. So, I'm just, I'm a little, again, maybe I'm playing devil's advocate a little bit, John, and maybe just kind of trying to talk through what I'm seeing, but I just don't see this team as a great possession team, and I think you want to play as close to what you play in the Champions League as you, you know, I want them to play similarly. I don't want it to be like, there's one style for League Gun, and then they have to completely change it around for the the important matches. You get what I mean? Yeah, I get that. And I, and I, I agree with the, the, the preferred style that we should be playing in because if you see us in open play when when and it, it usually starts when Neymar gets the ball deep and that's why he's always getting so deep to, 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 to initiate the attack from there so they can kind of stretch out the defense because when we're doing this tiki-taki back to the center back back to the full backs and then Verratti, and then he passes back. It, it becomes, it, you know, they, the, the offense becomes stagnant, and that that's what creates such a boring 45 minutes of football to watch when you have explosive players like Mbappe and Di Maria, these guys who can create stuff, but we're just playing, you know, ticky-tocky football. So I, I do agree with that, but I think I think that comes with, you know, a game-by-game uh, basis. We have to evaluate these matches Per, per match and, and see how they line up. And, I, you know, I've noticed that he has been playing more uh, for uh, a back four lately rather than the, the back three that we saw early in the season where we had so much success and don't really know what the ideology is behind that. And maybe he's testing it out, experimenting, or maybe this is something they want to do against Manchester United. I'm not sure, but it is an adjustment. So, it's again, it, it, we have to evaluate these things and gain per game uh, basis and then see what happens. But, you know, I mean, if, if we want to, if someone wants to use the excuse of we need Neymar to be there, we didn't need him today. Amien is higher on the table than Gangon, and we were able to keep a clean sheet. So it's, you know, it, again, you just got to evaluate everything per game and then we'll see what happens. Yeah, and if the if the reason for playing a back four is they don't have Kimpembe back and they're only playing with three center backs, they only have three center backs healthy, that I can understand. Because sure, yeah. logically that makes sense. You're not going to play a back three if you only have three center backs. One of them gets hurt and now you're, now you're starting to look thin. I get that. But mm-hmm. this team clearly plays better in a back three. Like, mm-hmm. it's not debatable. Like, they're a better team, It currently constituted when they put Silva Kimpembe Carer or Silva Marquinhos Carer in the back three, and then 
honestly, when Marquinhos is in the midfield with Marco Verratti. That's the best PSG formation. And it's clear it is because they used it to beat the best team they've played all year, and that's Liverpool. And you can't, I think, deviate from that too much because you want to get reps in that. And when Kimpembe comes back, I really hope that they show that back three again because it's what it solidifies them defensively. It gives them Marquinhos in the midfield who helps them be better defensively. And then it frees up those front four players to just be, you know, just be attacking and be, and be aggressive without having to worry about getting caught out of position, you know, and getting deep behind. So, you know, not to overanalyze these three games because, again, it's not, I, I'm, I would be more worried if we're playing Leon and we play like this or we're playing Bordeaux and we're playing like this. And Manchester's, you know, right around the corner, but they got five games to work this out. So I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna get too worried, but I do see the warning signs. Um, Eddie, uh, let's transition a little bit and we're gonna probably spend most of our time talking about, um, most of our time talking about the transfer stuff because I have a lot to say, but let's just kind of finish off on the Coupe de la Lee. Is it, is it a, Big deal. Do you do you care, like that we lost that game? Is that something that you're gonna? <laughs> no, like, like we just like we both touched on. It's the law of averages. I mean, sure, it's nice that PSG wins everything in France, uh, but, but at some point that just it's not gonna keep going. You know, it's like we set the law of averages, and at some point it came to an end, and it came to an end, and it's just like okay, it sucks, but oh well, you know. That's that's just the way I see. It. I'm not over dramatic, um, you know. That's just the you know. I just see it as a you know. Oh well. Yeah, John. I, from your laughter, I could tell that you're not exactly heartbroken over um, over our Kupilali <laughs> yeah. run ending. Yeah, we're, we'll be fine. We'll be fine. We got we got them next week. I think we'll, we'll handle our business. Yeah, I, I'll just say one word on the on the Coupe, Coupe de la League. It's it, it has been sort of. In a weird way, it's been sort of PSG's signature tournament in the sense that they've just so thoroughly dominated it that it's sort of odd to see them. Just the way they lost that game, it just was sort of odd and kind of a shock to the system because you don't expect to give up those three penalties. And I and I would just like to to say, and I'll because we have to journalistically cover it. I would say the first one was a penalty. I think the second one wasn't, and I think the third one was. You could have you could have not called it and not had a uproar, but it probably was. Any? Yeah, I would and, agree that the second one uh, I, that was questionable. And I think the second one was the the it obviously changes the entirety of the game because yeah. Bernat and Marcus Coco are running side by side. Coco tips the ball head and he le- he leans his his leg out to catch Bernat so that they fall down. That was, by definition, a dive. But again, I'm not going to complain about that. You do what you have to do. The weird thing was, he got to look at a replay of it, which where you clearly see the guy stick his leg out and initiate the contact, and they still, he still kept it on the, he still kept it, you know, he kept the same ruling, and then you go to the other side, 
there's a borderline foul on Marco Verratti in the box that they don't even look at. Like, I mean, if you're going to look at that second one, why why not take five seconds and look at that, that penalty? Unless they just, like, I just feel like Benoit Bastion, the referee, just completely got lost in that moment and just sort of Absolutely. was going with the emotion of the game. Like, he saw the PSG players come up to him. He assu- I think he assumed that Verratti was going to go dive there. Like, he had it in his head that he's going to try to dive here. Oh, he dove. No, no, wave it off. But in that case, why not give him a yellow card for diving? Which I don't know if he did or not, but you just, I, I feel like you don't want to see a referee, especially one as good usually as Benoit Bastian, sort of lose the plot a little bit. And it took away from the fact that Gingam played a really good game and that they've got a really talented young group of players that really shouldn't be in a relegation fight, if you think about it, Eddie. Yeah, they 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 put up they put up. Uh, I'm still confused. Like, how are they how are they near the relegation? I don't know. Maybe I I'm just taking this game that I seen. <laughs> and I'm like, they're pretty impressive. Uh, and, and then I look at the standings. I'm like, how how are they? I think they're 20th in in the table. 20th, and I'm just yeah. like, how? Yeah, how? Yeah, they're like, last. Yeah. Uh, it's just I don't know. Maybe I I gotta follow them more just to see consistently maybe what's wrong. But you know, against PSG, they played they played pretty well. Yeah, and it's a bad matchup physically. They just got so many big, strong dudes, and PSG are just not a team that can match up physically. Which, in it, to go on a bit of a non sequitur, which is kind of why I like Solskjaer taking over a step for Mourinho, because if Mourinho was going to coach Manchester United in that game, he was going to go super physical, and. I was a little concerned about PSG being caught in a game where they're getting fouled a lot and not getting the calls. If Skullshar is going to be dumb enough to have Manchester United try to play attacking against PSG, please bring that on, because I would absolutely <laughs> love that. But I actually think Skullshar will know better and, and sit back and try to play defensively. But we'll see. That's that's far down the line. We'll have time to talk about that. Um John, uh, the sky is falling. PSG have yet to sign a midfielder, and it is January 12th. So um, tell the people why they shouldn't completely jump off the cliff yet. As I said earlier in our uh, production meeting, we're either going to talk people onto the cliff or off of the cliff. Are you talking them onto the cliff when it comes to transfers or off the cliff? Well, I mean, realistically, you're going to – Feel how you feel, right? Because at this point, like, I'm going to try to talk you off the cliff, right? Like, naturally, that's what I would want to do. But apparently, even with all of the writing on the wall and everything transparently right there for you to see, you know, as a fan base, we, we, we just want certain things done at a certain time and there's certain expectations that the board has to meet. But, like, you know, first of all, the transfer window literally just opened. Like, we have to completely just be, just look at what's going on, follow everything, uh, financial fair play. And, 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 and I've seen you guys kind of, um, you two in particular kind of, um, interact with, with, with some people when, when you mentioned the, the, the quote unquote PSG tax. That's a real thing. Like, and I've seen some people try to push it off. Like, it might not be literally called that or, or viewed as that, but there is such a thing where particularly teams in France and, and teams who 
you know, these big European clubs, they don't want to do business with PSG. And if they do, they're going to add a little, uh, you know, a service charge on, on, on the bill there. And, and that's just something that we have to accept. So with all of those things considered, we have to be patient. <laughs> just be patient and, and see what happens. Like, I don't know what, like, we don't, we don't really know what exactly, um, the, the the financial fair play aspect is in, in terms of how much we can spend or we can't spend because they say that uh, we we uh, we, um, we we can't we can't spend spend a certain amount amount of money. I think the, I think say, the number oh, you're looking for. Is, sorry, I think the number you're looking for is the report was just to be specific that PSG yeah. had a 30 million euro yeah. budget. Yeah, that's what I read okay. too. Right. So if, if, if that's the case. Then we have to look at, like, are you going to spend that 30, that 30 on one particular player or are you going to try to spread that out? So all of those things, that's, that's for them to figure out. But I, I think, I think it comes from, um, like, the, just from, for me, if, if we're looking at Neymar and Mbappe, like, that, that's huge. So, we have to expect that these people know what they're doing to some to a certain degree. Maybe they're not doing the business in a manner and in, in a timely fashion that you might not want. But I would say be patient with these guys and 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 trust that if the decision comes down to who Thomas Tuchel wants and not who particularly Nasser wants, then you know we might have who we want. And I think like if you're gonna if you're gonna make that argument about who's really calling the shots. You, you know, you can make a, a fair argument there, but for me personally, the decision has to be whoever Thomas Tuchel wants, that's who we need to try to go get. Eddie? Uh, we On or off the ledge? Ever since, uh, I want to talk people off the ledge, but at some point, like, like John said, people are going to be stuck in their ways. And 30, like, PSG, like we said, we, it's reported they only have 30 million euros to spend. And people are going to, like, we've had discussions with everybody on Twitter since the transfer window opened, but you're, like, 30 million for PSG, it's, it's, it's going to be tough for them to get a midfielder because, like we say, there's a PSG tax, and I'm going to throw out an example, or two examples, Everton, Fergouye, he's valued at 20 million dollars, or 20 million euros, because he's already 29 years old, maybe has two or three years, two or three years left in his prime. So technically, he shouldn't cost that much. But Everton wants 45 million euros. So you know, there's the PSG tax in effect. Also, Zenit want 50 million euros for Paredes. But from what I'm seeing, is Chelsea's offering them offering them 30 million euros. So or they want 50 from PSG, but Chelsea's offering them 30 and. I don't know if that's true or not, but if he does go to Chelsea for 30 million euros, then we're going to see, you know, that's the PSG tax in effect again. And it's just people don't want to see that, that PSG get charged double, sometimes triple the cost just for being PSG. And even when it's young talent, unproven talent, they still get taxed. I mean, we saw Tilo Kerr before he was transferred. I saw he was worth around 18 million euros. Uh, but he went for 37. So even when it's unproven talent, PSG still get taxed for being PSG. And so, I mean, people are not probably not going to be happy with the options that they bring in. I mean, Weigel seems to be the lead candidate. Um, he, he will probably be a, uh, a loan with an option to buy in the summer. 
And then after that, I think everything's just overpriced. I mean, like you said, Mark, you tweeted this out, you know, a day or two ago that, you know, Henrique can't spend money he doesn't have, or, you know, the club can't spend money they don't. They just can't fabricate money and go out and buy a, a, a two midfielders. They're, they're going to have to be creative, either go the loan option or it's going to be someone that the fan base is already going to be, nope, I, that's not, it's, you know, it's going to go with the sky is falling. But it's just something the fan base doesn't want to hear because 30 million for PSG, that's going to be tough for them just to buy one, let alone two midfielders. It's complicated because the fan base, to a degree, has been spoiled under this regime with the amount of spending and the amount of just sheer volume of players that PSG have brought in in the last six, seven years. And I feel like it's taking this fan base a while to really understand what and I go back to this because it is the thing that matters more than anything. It, it, why the Neymar deal followed up immediately by the Mbappe deal was so sort of earth shattering to football in general. And what happened from that were actually a couple of things. The first thing was it put PSG back in the views and the purview of financial fair play, which they were not in that year before they made those dealings. Those dealings were the catalyst for the Spanish clubs and the German clubs to lobby UEFA to strongly open the investigation. They may have opened them regardless of whether whether there was lobbying done or not, but Essentially, it's a hard correlation not to see. Javier Tebas, the more vocal lobbyer, but lobbying behind the scenes to sort of check what PSG is doing. And ever since that point, PSG have been under a financial crunch. They have to balance their books. They have to bring in as much as they spend. It's why they had to sell 60 million euros worth of players in the month of June. And I don't know if there's anybody on that list that I would not have sold. I would have sold Pastore in that sense. Why wouldn't you? And going to July and August, you had holes to fill besides midfield. And again, at that point, you think you have Verratti, Rabio. Draxler, um, Unkunku, Lastiara was a potential. There, the, the situation was different. And clearly they counted on re-signing Adrian Rabia, which has turned out to be a mistake. But that's what they were thinking at the time. So the need for a midfielder to them wasn't as big. They were looking for a third center back or another center, a fourth center back to give Tuchel flexibility. They got Tilo Kerr. They needed a better, you know, they needed a better goalkeeping option than Kevin Trapp. They got Gianluigi Buffon. They needed a guy who could eat up minutes as a backup striker. 
they got Chopomoting. And they needed a left back because Laban Krizal wasn't coming back till the end of the year. They got Juan Bernat. So they filled a lot of needs, but they didn't fill that midfield need. And the way the year has gone now, they got caught. And they need to figure out a way to add depth to their midfield so that they're not in these February-March games having Verratti playing every week in every game, having Marquinhos playing every game. They need to get rotation. And I'm fully aware that they need to get rotation in their squad, which is why I think there's, you know, they may have to just get some options, some guys that maybe we're not really thinking of at the moment, to just fill out some depth so that they can play in the Coupe de France matches and play an odd league gun game here or there, just to keep, you know, just to keep guys fresh. But here's now the problem they're in. You have a 30 million euro budget. And anybody that you would have starting for you in any major kind of match is out of that 30 million range. We can go through them. And I'm trying not to talk too much because I don't want to monopolize all the time, but I really do want to make this point. You have Abdoulaye Ducare saying on French television that Paris is the club of his heart. So, Here's a guy that, if possible, would want to come to Paris Saint-Germain. Watford have no reason to sell him. They're seventh in the Premier League. They have a shot, an outside shot of making European football, making a boatload of money. They don't need to sell him. So, if even if PSG go in and say, we'll pay $40 million for him, they don't have to sell him. If you say, we're going to pay seventy for him, Maybe Watford sells him, but what does Watford have to gain from selling him at this point? Why make your team worse when you actually have a shot to make the Europa League? Talk about uh, Idrissa Gay, same thing. You know, Everton have, Everton makes a boatload of money. They have no need to sell players if they don't want to sell them, unless they get a ridiculous offer over value. And why would PSG spend 50 million euros on a 29-year-old midfielder. Then you can go to Julian Weigel. Weigel pretty much clearly wants to go somewhere where he can play. Who, Where better to go than where his old coach that made him a star is coaching? Everything seems about right. You know, it's not going to be that huge of a transfer. Julian Weigel's not worth 40, 50 million euros. They have a shot at that one. And maybe they can get a loan deal done. But the problem there, Dortmund don't want to sell. They don't want to even talk about selling him because apparently they need him for depth, which makes no sense, but whatever. They could use the money they get for Weigel to go get someone else to be depth. But that's Dortmund's position. You can't force a team to sell, especially since you're not Barcelona. Barcelona can do the, the tactics of, hey, don't show up to practice for a week. We'll pay whatever fine. Remember when they did this a year ago with Coutinho and Dembele? Remember when Coutinho faked the knee injury for three months? Yep. And then yep. remember when Dembele didn't show up to practice? Notice that PSG, PSG could never get away with that. You Absolutely think, you not. You think PSG could get away with that and, and bully a team into and giving up a player? No, they can't. Because that's not what PSG is allowed to do. It's a different set of rules for a club like Bayern, for 
uh, for Barcelona, for Real Madrid, for Bayern Munich, for Liverpool. It's different rules. Liverpool bullied Southampton into, into signing Virgil van Dijk when they had no real reason to sell Virgil van Dijk. Liverpool wanted him and they got him. PSG don't play by those rules, no matter how much money they have. So it's not just sort of what PSG want, PSG get. You have to work within a budget. You have to deal with these teams that are wary of selling to you in the first place. And now you have to go into the bargain basements or into the, into the discount rack. And you have to find midfielders. And you know what? You're going to overpay for those guys, too, because those teams know you need a midfielder. So whoever – and I'll be done in a second. I'll let you guys kind of comment on any of this. For, you know, who are you supposed to blame here? There's a lot of blame to go around in this situation. It's not just saying – and I love um, – we, me and Carl Oscar have this argument a bunch of times – and it's not just saying Antero Henrique is incompetent. That, that's too simplistic of a view here. Because we've had sporting directors sign plenty of midfielders that didn't work out, that we couldn't even play. Um, Oliver Letang and Patrick Clivert signed Grzegor Krakowiak. The guy couldn't even play. So you wasted 30 million euros on a midfielder, and the guy was a scrub. Like... So you couldn't use them anyway. Now you're down 30 million euros and you have to sell the guy for less than what you paid for him. So you don't want to do that. You don't want to just get a guy for the sake of signing a guy like we've done in the past and it hasn't worked out. Benjamin Stambouli, Johan Kabai. Like, we could do that. PSG could get a mid... And then this is the point. PSG could get a midfielder anytime they want. But it's not about that. It's about building a team. It's about getting the pieces right. And that's why I sort of like what Henrique does. He's not reactionary. He's not just buying guys for the sake of it. They're trying to at least get something going. But you know what? He's not doing the best job in the world. But it's not just his fault. This is not a simple problem of if we just get rid of Henrique, everything will be okay. It's just not that. Eddie, it's just not. That's. It's just. Not that simple. Yeah, you said it. It's not simple when there's just so many other factors. You know, it's it's just not him. Like you said, if clubs don't want to sell, they don't want to sell, or they'll they they are interested in selling. They'll just put on an, uh, a ridiculous price. So you know, what is he supposed to do about that? I mean, why why is he going to spend fifty million? You know. On a 29-year-old midfielder, that just doesn't make sense. But since you know, I, I think he's in a he's in a no-win situation right now. I think for the best is just wait it out. I mean, it's still just the 12th. Um, they still got the rest of the month. But you know, it's people want something right now, or they want him. You know, they want his blood. But just. It's just so many factors, and some people are either going to understand, or some people are just going to be like, "No, we are PSG. We should be able to buy this this player." You know, it's just it's a complicated situation, especially since the Neymar and Mbappe deals kicked in. It's you know, it's it just adds another factor that they need to work around or work with, 
And, you know, just people are just not going to be that patient, especially, you know, the goal is Champions League. So, you know, it's just, you know, it's just going to have to wait it out and be patient. I know it's not something people want to hear, but that's the truth. John? Yeah, I, I think y'all, you, you very much hit it, you know, hit it on the head with everything you said. It's, it, it, it's a matter of you need someone to point the finger at, right? Like yeah. when these things happen, you need someone to place the blame. Somebody has to be scapegoated. And obviously, I'm not going to absolve them for any, for you know, for for some of the decision making in terms of like if we're looking at uh, Yasin Adli, like why isn't he playing? He's a midfield option. Um, you're looking at, you know, are they are they only looking for a certain type of midfield players? Are they you know, like you, you can find someone who who can uh, bring depth to the squad because if essentially what we're looking at is we have a team that can go far in the Champions League. So the person that we're going to bring in isn't necessarily, like you said, this isn't necessarily going to be the person to, to start in those Champions League matches. They're just going to be there as depth in case someone gets hurt or something something crazy happens. So. You know, you know, they're not completely absolved of everything, but I think it just comes down to we need we need someone to place the blame on. But I'm not going to do that because I recognize and understand the fundamentals of having uh, something in the way of <laughs> like an entire construct of something that's keeping you from doing what you want to do and what your fans are used to you doing. And even with that in in my face, like if if I can't. If I can't just look at it from a minimal standpoint that there are things that are set up to make these transfers difficult for PSG at this current stage. And if I can't see if you can't see that, there's nothing I can really tell you. Well, and and I'll make a couple of points also here. The perfect example of this is where PSG is playing somewhat within the rules. A club like Barcelona doesn't. For example, Frankie Dion is a perfect example of this in the sense that if the reporting is correct, PSG is handling this transfer in the right way, in the sense that they're going through the club. The whole way this is supposed to be set up is that you're supposed to make an agreement with the club for the sale, and once that's done, you make per- you agree to personal terms with the player. That's how this is supposed to be set up. Barcelona doesn't do that. Barcelona goes through intermediaries. They go through the back door. They get agreements with the player, and once they have agreements with the player, then they bully the club. See, we have an agreement with the player. He wants to leave. You better sell him to us. That's a, It's a different dynamic here. And are you going to then say that all deals are like that? No, but the major deals are. The major deals, it's a hypocritical thing. You have to go through the player first. And I actually kind of like that. I'm not necessarily against it. If it wasn't sort of illegal, quote unquote, which is why you have Barcelona sending out press releases going, we didn't negotiate with Adrian Rabio, because if they <laughs> did, if they were proven to have done it, that's a violation of the transfer rules. So they have to put out this bullshit statement that everyone knows is a lie and everyone just goes along with because we can't sanction Barcelona because they make the world the world game too much money. So, what is PSG supposed to do in that situation? They have they have to play dirty, and if they get caught, they're definitely getting sanctioned. So, this isn't simple. This isn't simple. And I want to make another couple points too. Henrique wanted to sell Rabio in the summer. You know who didn't? 
Nasser did. Nasser. Yeah, Nasser did not right. sell. Henrique wanted to sell him. And you would have gotten 30, 40 million euros for him. And you know what you would have been able to do with that? You would have been able to buy another midfielder. Henrique wanted to sell him. Nasser didn't. And now look where we are now. So again, the, the, the title of this podcast should be, This is Not Simple. Because now you have Tomas Tuchel coming out and saying, oh, I need midfielders. I need midfielders. I'm nervous about the transfer window. What a stupid thing to say. No, I'm, I'm, I'm really serious about this. And I, I usually don't get hot on this show, but I'm getting hot today. This, what a stupid thing to say. Because it does one of two things. One, it puts pressure on your board to make set, to make deals that puts them at a disadvantage at the negotiation table from the start. Because you can go, hey, your coach says he needs midfielders. So you clearly need a midfielder. Now it might be obvious that they need midfielders and that Tuchel, you know, doesn't have to say it for it to be true, but it doesn't help. And the second part of that is, it puts your fan base on edge for no, you know, for no real reason. Like, again, sometimes I miss the days of Unai Emery saying nothing. Like, <laughs> just say nothing. It's okay to say nothing. When you start saying shit like, I'm nervous about my transfer window, it's like you get people in a panic. It's like telling the patient, like, you know, I'm not sure if this surgery's going to work. I'm a little nervous about it. Like, come on. You don't do that. It's, it's an idiotic statement to make. And it puts PSG now in a spot where that tape's going to be run and it's going to be used as a wedge. And it puts, it puts Henrique against Tuchel. It puts, Nasser in a situation where he has to pick, and he'll pick Tuchel in that situation, and Tuchel knows that. But I just, Eddie, am I wrong to say that that was a really stupid thing for Tuchel to do? Maybe not no. for his own self-preservation. It's probably a smart thing to do for his own self-preservation in this case, but it's not good to do for the team as a collective. No, it's not good. I mean, like you said, it just... Think, you know, other clubs can just grab that interview, play it when they're with Antero Henrique on the, on the, on the negotiating table and just be, and just say, you know what? You guys are desperate. You're either going to meet our price or we'll just walk out. So it just adds another factor that Henrique needs to, you know, jump or, you know, hurdle over at the negotiation table. Um, it's just, it's, I don't know if this is just PSG, but it's just like there's always some kind of drama around the club. It's I, I would just like for like just to not have any drama. I mean, we had the whole Rabio all over the fall. Now we're we know what's going to happen, and now it's the winter time, and now we have a coach and a sporting director. You know, at on two different. You know, it's it's just two different ideologies or whatever you want to call it. But, you know, it's two sides that now the fan base are going to either be against Henrique, which are, some already are. Most are. Gonna be, I mean, I love – most. yeah, are. most are. And then, you know, it, it, 
it's just it's just dividing the, the fan base and it's just like we don't need that right now it's we have some important games coming up i mean <laughs> transfers it, it they're either gonna happen or they're not it's just i don't know it's just it's a it's a it's starting to become a messy situation and you and you know what john if Tuchel's this great genius, figure it out. Like, you figured it out against Liverpool. Manchester United are no better than Liverpool. They're worse, clearly worse. Like, figure it out. Like, yeah, you're gonna suffer. You're gonna have times where you're gonna, where you're gonna lose some games because of your lack of midfield. But, if you're this big genius, like, you, again, he can he can go to the board, he can go to Nasser and Entero and complain all he wants because that's how organizations should work. You should have a dialogue between the people in charge that should lead to some sort of thing getting done. Like, behind closed doors, have that argument all you want. But he's getting paid good money, and if you are... This, you know, if, there's no excuses for me. If we lose to Manchester United in this tie, I'm not going to say it's because we didn't have midfielders. Because even without what we have, we're clearly a better team. And it's going to come down to, did Thomas Tuchel put his team in a position to win? And, you know, he's had some great moments so far, but he's still got to go do it in the, in the big moments. He's got to do it in February, March, and April. You can't just do it in October and September. Unai Emery did it in September and October. You know, it's just, I think in this complicated situation, John, I just feel like that you have to have that united front, that front you had when you were playing Liverpool at the Parquet Prons, when you played, you know, when you went to Belgrade. That's what you need, and that's what Tuchel was, that's the good in Tuchel. That's like, that's what Tomas Tuchel does well. He gets his team's rally together. He gets a good game plan, gets them working hard, gets them energized. The the Tomas Tuchel that we've seen in the last two weeks is not that guy. It's the guy that's, you know, it's the guy from Dortmund who's complaining about the board. And it's like, don't don't start that. You're not you haven't been here long enough to you haven't been here long enough to start complaining about the board. Yeah, he, uh, it's, it's a little, and that when you, when you first mentioned that, I was going to say it's a little, it's a little outside of what we've seen from him thus far. Very calm, cool, and collected. And, and y'all are right. That's how all of this comes off. It comes off as panic. It, 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 it resonates with the fan base. It resonates with these other clubs. Like AD said, when you're doing business with them, they can use that as evidence that they can put that that can add on to that PSG tax, uh, per se. So, uh, it's a little strange for him to, to kind of say that. And then the timing of it, where it was after the game on match, I think. And it's like, we didn't need that match to realize that we needed a midfielder like that. That's been the case. He's right. Um, yeah, yeah, he's definitely right. But he's you know, right, but that, you don't say it. You say something exactly. like, well, I don't talk about transfers. I talk about the players that I have. That's what you say. Right. And you leave it at that. You don't talk about other people's players. You don't talk about things you don't have. You talk about what you have. Yeah. Yeah, and, and it's a little conflicting, too, when you see 
Well, it's a, it's a, contra- it's a contradiction to, to like some of the optics we see when, when the teams are training and you see a picture of Nasser and Tuchel and Enrique and you would imagine they're talking about these things there. So why in the world would you go to the press and make it seem like it's a thing? And, and I, I'm literally on the timeline here and, and Lakeep just tweeted a quote that Tuchel said after the match. He said, I'm scared. But the leaders told me that we'll have someone in the midfield. So apparently, like, they've told him that he will get the midfielder. But I don't know if there's going to be the midfielder he wants. So, again, it's it's, it's a back-and-forth thing where it's like, you know, and you understand that the, the, the media is going to ask these questions and they're going to continue trying to get something out of you. But, again, putting it out there like that, it, 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 it makes it seem like we need damage control, and I don't think we're there. But you know what? Take, take, you can bleep this out for the Australian version, but what the f*** is he scared about? Right. <laughs> yeah. uh. he has, he, okay, what is he scared about? Like, yeah. you, you went through a whole five months with, these, with 11 guys. You figured out a thing that worked. You can repeat it. It's repeatable. It's a 3-4-3. Three, three. You've run it, you know, you've run it in major matches, and it's worked. Why are you scared? Like, And that's my point. Whoever we bring in in the mid, and in, 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 if we do bring in someone in January, they're not going to be, they're, gonna, not, they're not, they're not going to replace Marquinhos or Verratti in the midfield. So no. What, you know what I mean? So what's what's the... And if one of those guys gets suspended or gets hurt, Draxler's going to go in. Yeah. Yeah. So unless you sign Weigel or unless you sign somebody of that ilk who Tuchel trusts, he's probably not going to play the guy in the Champions League anyway. And if you're you're 18, 20 points up in the league, do you really need midfield depth like that badly? Like by the time it gets to January, PSG could very easily be 18 points ahead. And the only real other tournament they're playing in is the Coupe de France. So it's not like he doesn't have time to rest people. It's not like he can't give Yassine Adley a game if he wanted yeah. to. It's not like he Bring can't do what he did It's not like he can't do what he did today. He put Danny Alves in the midfield against Amiens. And you know what? The world didn't end. Like, this is what I mean. It's like, you... Yes. Should Do we need midfielders? Yes. To make the team function better? Yes, we need midfielders. But unless you're getting that guy that's going to start in that Champions League game, you have no reason to rush. You have no reason to spend outside your means for a guy that you're just going to try to sell a year later. Right. This yeah. is the thing that I, I think people don't understand about it, or they just willfully are ignoring it because they, you know, me want midfielder. Like, yeah. it's caveman stuff at this point, Eddie. Yeah, I I think we haven't touched on this, but I think if business, if this is the way it's going to keep going on, if this is the future, then the academy, you know, it's just going to be just as important now. I mean, we're 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 climbing on. You're seeing that league at least getting a couple matches here because you know the guy's a midfielder. We want midfielder midfield that you know why not play him? So you know if if, if clubs are going to be charging these outrageous prices, then you know, obviously we're going to pay those prices for elite, you know, world-class talent, obviously. But for, you know, uh, borderline, average, above-average midfielder that maybe we can just, you know, there's someone in our academy with that potential, I, I think, you know, why not give our young players 
you know, a shot rather than overspending on a guy that we're just going to sell. You know, like Kokoviak, we bought him for 30 million euros and then we sold him for 11. So, you know, we, yeah, it's, it's just like, it, you know, give Yassine Ali a chance. There's no nothing to be scared to go. I mean, I, I, if he was going to be scared, I thought he would be scared, you know, during the Champions League group stage. That was, that was the time to be scared. Not, right. not now. <laughs> yeah. Not now. I mean, it's, like we said, don't panic buy because if, if if we panic buy, then it's just it's just gonna lead to buying someone we really don't need, and eventually gonna have to sell a year later, like you guys said. Yes, and and that and that's the whole that's the whole thing about this, which is you can agree or disagree with Henrik's tone, and you know me and John, the Donovan Johnson have had this argument. You can disagree with his tone. You can think that he's not the most effective sporting director in the world. But let's be very clear. This is a club that's under restriction, and here's a guy that is balancing budget. Here's a guy that is helping them sign a load of their young talent that they can eventually sell off. And it's not Antero Henrique who's saying, don't play Yassine Adley. I don't think. Like, if you're not going to play him, loan him out. And if you're not loaning him out, then what What are we doing? Like, you know, you can't say things like, I'm scared or, you know, I'm nervous that we don't have a midfielder when you have a midfielder that you don't play. Or, Nas- or you know, Nasser, and I don't necessarily disagree with him sitting Adrian Rabio, but it's you know what's happening right now? PSG are backtracking that. Like, they, if they don't sell him to Chelsea, let's put it this way. They're not selling him to Barcelona. They'd rather him just leave for free if that's the case. They're not selling him to Barcelona. If Chelsea or Bayern comes in with 15, 20 million euros to pay for him, PSG will sell him and use that money to buy another midfielder. But, if they don't, there's a very good chance that they're gonna let they're gonna have Adrian Rabio play, and he'll play cup match the cup matches and he'll play some league gun games. I have no doubt in my mind that if it gets to February, they haven't signed anybody or they've signed one guy, and Rabio's still on this team, they're gonna play him. So you have to also bring that into consideration that they're sort of seeing how this Rabio thing plays out before anything else. So again, yeah, they'll have no yeah. choice. Yeah. They'll have no choice. They'll have to play them, which is yeah. again, why I understand on principle what they did, but it may have been in hindsight, biting off your nose to spite your face yeah. in sort of the more, the most classical sense of that term. Well, we'll wrap this up just by asking both of you. A, two, two part question. A, do you think they'll sign someone? And B, if you had to pick the one person that you think they'll sign, not that you want, but the one that you think they'll sign, tell us. If not, maybe suggest, maybe suggest someone else. I don't know how you want to take this, but Eddie, you'll take this first. Uh, Gut feeling. Do they sign some? Gut feeling. I, I, I'm gonna go. I'm gonna stick with Weigel just because there's that loan option, and then and they can figure it out there, and then figure it out in the summer. So if I had to pick that, if they had to pick one midfielder, it'll be Weigel. 
Now, how do you how do you get Dortmund? How do you convince Dortmund to let him go on loan? Uh, that's gonna be hard. that's gonna be the difficult part. I mean, they they don't need him. They're just gonna have to put on their best. I mean, someone's gonna have to smooth talk, or it's just. I mean, they don't need him. I mean, they said that they're playing at center back now. I that's ridiculous. Um, but it's just it's. I'm not a salesman. I don't, I don't pretend to act like one, but they're just gonna have to, someone's gonna have either Tenrique Nasir or someone in, and not, you know, board is just gonna have to smooth talk Dortmund into saying, you guys are first, I'm not sure how many points they're up on Bayern or whoever's in second, uh, and maybe you go from there and try to smooth talk them into loaning them out. Yeah, I, I think you could, I think, I think the thing that you can do with Bible is you just, the player wants to go. And in the end, when the player really wants to go, the the team will usually let him go. But I think Weigel is not the kind of guy that's going to, like, cause a stink about it. Yeah. So it's going to be a difficult one. But you're saying that they will – you think gut feeling they will sign someone. Yeah, just because he'll fit in that budget. I'm just going by money-wise. Yeah. I mean, everybody else is above $30 million, you know. So I'm just going just because of the money – like, you know, the player knows him, the club wants him, he would like a move, so I'm just going with those factors. John, do you think they signed somebody, and who do you think is the most likely option? Yeah, I think they'll sign somebody, and then just based off of this quote uh, from uh, L'Equipe, I think they will, uh, you know, obviously they've made some type of verbal uh, assurance to Tuchel that they will bring in someone in the middle, and I'm with Eddie, like, Julian Weisel is that, financially makes the most sense, you know, and again, it comes down to Dortmund, whether they'll want to make that deal. And I don't, you know, at that point, it's really just them being petty because they're, that's their whole thing. They, they, they can, they can recycle a player and bring somebody else in and develop them. Like, like that shouldn't be a problem. And, um, so yeah, I, I think the, 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 the most likely would be Julian Weigel if we were to sign someone. And there was a report that I personally liked and he's a, Raja Nangolan, I play for Inter. He's he has a rough patch. He just literally got suspended for something else because he he's one of those guys. Uh, but you know there there could be something there where they can come to agreement to terminate his contract because I think he's in contract with them until like 2021 or 22 or something. Or if they can get a January deal for him because he's one of those pit bulls who can be in the middle. He's a really good. Uh, midfielder. Um, so, you know, that would be me personally. Like, if that was to manifest, I wouldn't mind that at all. Yeah. But realistically, uh, I think uh, Julian Weigel would be the top target that they should focus on because financially, that would make the most sense. Yeah, I'm not, I'm not confident on Weigel. I think they're, I think Dortmund's going to hold firm on that. I, I, I because they, 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 they have the money. They don't really need to sell them. So, like, I, I just, I don't know. I don't see that working. I think what's they going to play him or do something. Well, they don't have to. They could keep him on the bench as a sub. They could. Yeah. Like they, they don't yeah. have to sell him. They. Yeah. But it, and as frustrating as that is for PSG fans, and probably as frustrating as that is for Julian Weigel, if Dortmund says no, there's not much you really can do in this case. So my thought is that there was a name that came up that I think it sort of breaks PSG's rule of not signing within league gun. But I think it's going to come down to this. I think they're going to have to sign Thiago Mendes. Like, if Lille, Lille are going to sell him, 
or willing to sell him because they they don't Leal does not in the in the long term care about going to the Champions League one year. Like it'll help them get some money, but they can do that without Thiago Mendes. If they, you know, they put, you know, I think Galtier is a good enough coach. PSG need a guy. And if it gets to the 20th or the 21st and they still not sign somebody, you give Lille 25 million euros for Thiago Mendes, they'll probably say yes. I don't think Lille are turning down 25 million euros for Thiago Mendes. They have enough financial issues. It's a good... is it the one I would go for necessarily? Not your first choice, but I feel like PSG are not going to be able to get their first choices. I think it's going to be Thiago Mendes. Yeah, I can um, see that. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, John and Eddie, uh, plug your Twitters. Anything you guys are working on? Sure, I'll go first. Uh, uh, Twitter is uh, Eddie1999Razo. And currently... 1999? 1991. Have you been <laughs> listening to too much Prince recently? I'm uh, tired. <laughs> I woke up early. Oh, Eddie just guys. made himself a uh, generation... Was it X or Z? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so let's try that again. Eddie... Uh, Ra- Eddie... Yeah, it's, uh, Eddie... 1991 Razo. Good. And I'm currently, I'm, I'm in the, I'm in, I'm in your mold, Mark. I have a lot of several ideas that are going on in my head. I know I'm going to do a by numbers preview of Manchester United, you know, PSG down the road, you know, towards the end of this month. And, you know, do a little portfolio if they do sign. I might do a portfolio on Thiago Mendes just because, you know, that's just another more reasonable target. We've so got about eight couple. of them. And they've all been pretty good. So I hope yeah. that one, I hope that you've done all these profiles and that we at least signed one of those guys so it wasn't a total yeah. waste of time. <laughs> yeah, that way you can just stun on everybody like, yeah, I told y'all. Oh, no. <laughs> Law of averages. Yeah. All right, John, and, plug your stuff. And yes, you can, uh, you can follow me on Twitter, God for sure, G-O-D-F-R. S-H-O-R-T on Twitter. Um, I have a piece up right now about the ongoing feud, um, the latest installment of PSG versus Nikip and how they haven't let the journalists uh, into the training centers and PSG's facilities and kind of talk about how, you know, they're at PSG pretty much have reached their point where like they're, they're, they're willing to be petty about it because of all the, all the, the stories that Lakeep have put out over the past couple of years. So you should definitely check that out. Uh, and, um, you know, just look out for more stuff as we kind of get into uh, the new year here. Uh, so should be having something else up soon. And um, that's wonderful. So um, thank you both. Um, you can follow me at Mark Damon one. Um, so let's see what happens in the next three weeks. We don't know. Um, we're all waiting just like you are. We don't, we don't have a pipeline to the team. We don't, we don't know what they're thinking. We're going off the same reports you guys are. We have no extra information. We're just trying to make sense of it all. So, for PSG Talk, this has been Eduardo Razo, John Olangi, and Mark Damon saying au revoir for now. <laughs>